Good morning, everybody. I am so glad that you guys are here on Burger Day. I'm not sure how you're gonna be able to concentrate on, it's like sitting next to Dick's drive-in right now. Every once in a while, the, the wind wafts over and it's gonna be distracting. I forgive you. My name's Scott, I'm one of the pastors here. Our teaching pastor, Pastor Matt, is in Spokane for a wedding this weekend. So if you've never heard him speak in particular, I would ask you to come back and listen. He's an awesome teacher. And I'm excited to continue in this series. Matt had this series that's named Called, and I think Matt really likes me because he gave me today's, which is called to hope, which is the best one. I don't want to say anything, but it really is not because of me, because of the topic. So it's going to be really cool. But I want to start out first with a confession. And I'm not sure if it's a confession or an admonition, but I am not a good speller. This will come as a little surprise to anybody that's ever gotten an email, a text, or a note from me. I'm not a good speller. I'm not great at punctuation. And um, my grammar is a little bit weak. But what we're talking about today is the word hope. And what I've discovered is that the word hope has different meanings, whether it's used as a verb or a noun, right? And that's, it's not the only word like that. There's other words that are like that. And one of them is, if I got up here and I said, I wanted to hammer home a point and make an impact, and I had this, you guys in the front would be a little concerned, rightly so, right? Because you think maybe I'm not getting the proper meaning, right? And if, if I said, well... I hope that some of my points would cheer you today. And I did this, you'd be confused, right? And you guys that are guests today, you're probably not going to come back. <laughs> Neither one of those things are true. We are working about, we're talking about the word hope. Now, to start out with, the verb hope has a specific meaning that says wanting something to happen. So the verb is wanting something to happen, right? Hope the noun is defined as to desire with expectations of obtainment or fulfillment. With expectations of obtainment or fulfillment. So the verb is a wish, right? The verb hope is a wish. The noun hope is expectation. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these people, both in person and online. I pray that your word would not come back void as we talked this morning, that we can really come to a better understanding the hope that is ours as we decide to follow you. We ask for your presence here, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going to be staying mostly in Ephesians. The first passage is Ephesians 1:17. It starts out where Paul says, And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? For those of us new to Christianity, the saints are you. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. That's what he's talking about. And he's talking about this wondrous blessing that comes through Jesus upon all of us who've chosen to follow him. That's pretty great right? That, that, that is an encouraging message to hear. And I think those of us that are Christians for a while, sometimes we can forget who we are in Jesus, right? As we progress in our lives, we can kind of forget the transformation that's happened. The Bible says that once we decide to follow Jesus, we become a new creature. Every aspect of our being is changed. And sometimes we can forget that. And I was thinking about in the 90s, when I was reading a lot of business books, there was one that talked about the tyranny of the urgent. 
And in business, the tyranny of the urgent is you're distracted from the important things by the immediate things that keep coming toward you, right? And I think for followers of Jesus, I'd like to coin a new term, the tyranny of the ordinary. I think sometimes we can forget who we are in Jesus by the day-to-day tasks that we have to address, right? We have to get the kids ready. We have to go shopping that day. We have to mow the lawn. We have to get that contractor finally to address that thing that's been plaguing our house for the last three years. Whatever it is, it can, all these little things can cause us to forget really who we are, how we've been transformed through Jesus' love. And for us to be aware of that, Paul is saying that God must open the eyes of our hearts. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful illustration to open the eyes of our hearts to remember who we are in Jesus. And hope is a big deal. I don't think you can overestimate the power of hope in the world, right? The world is searching for hope. Big time. It is searching for hope. And it, it has no hope without Christ. And at best, it has misdirected hope, the verb. It does not have hope, the noun. And I've been thinking recently about all the things that are going on where the society is looking for hope. Billionaires are spending billions of dollars to colonize Mars with the hope of that will be the next place that we go once the earth is no longer to support life. And other billionaires are spending billions of dollars to extend lifespan from from 80, 90, 100 years out to 500 or even 1,000 years. That's hope the verb. And the sad thing is they do that. If we, if we live to be 1,000 years old or if we move our civilization tens of millions of miles, it's going to be without hope. Right? It is this false searching for hope the noun that only Jesus can, can offer us. And our hope as followers of Jesus is both future and immediate. Paul is asking God that he will reveal to us what he has given us and what he will give us. There's this double blessing, this double richness of, of inheritance that we get as being Christians. And he's asking that so we, we, we may know for certain that we have that hope. That may not sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal. In 1 John 5.13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. There is no doubt that we may know that we have eternal life. Once our heart's eyes are opened to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we are assured of our salvation. This is unique to Christianity, by the way. All other world religions are based on works. And all other world religions are striving for some kind of goal, whether it be nirvana or your, be your own God or a different level of heaven or enlightenment, whatever it is. They all have a set of tasks or duties or achievements that they have to reach before they get that goal. And that line is not specific. So much so, I once heard a, a, a senior practitioner of one of these religions talking to somebody, and he was devout. He, he lived a celibate life, and he devoted virtually every hour of the day to achieve what he felt he needed to achieve to achieve that goal, right? And somebody said, well, that is, you're just amazing. So when you die, do you know you're going to go to heaven? And his reply was, I hope so. And that was hope the verb. He was wishing that he made it good enough to get into heaven. Where if, if you and I are followers of Jesus, 
we have that assurance of hope, the noun. Jesus paid the price so that we don't have to achieve anything. He achieved it already on our behalf. It also says in this passage, which we are called. I love that, that we are called to this hope. God calls us to this hope. And I think a lot of people get confused when they're new to Christianity about the calling, right? I've, I've witnessed to people before and they said, well, I really don't want to be, I don't want to follow Jesus because I know I'm going to have to give up this stuff, right? Whatever that stuff is. I, I want to sleep with who I want to sleep whenever I want to sleep. I want to gossip. I want to, you know, I don't want to have to be truthful, whatever it is. And so they, they, they don't want to give that up. But this idea to which we are called, God calls us to fullness in life, right? Jesus said he came to give us fullness of life. That's who we are as Christians. We're, we're called to fullness. And yes, God does have advisories or restrictions that he puts on our life in the same way that if, if we had parents right here with a two-year-old, that two-year-old was running out here, ran out into the street, you would rush out there to guard that child and pull him or her back in because you want fullness of life for that child. And that's why God sets up these, in comparison, minute restrictions upon us so that we can fully live through him and have fullness of life. Today, we get our riches and inheritance today. If you're a Christian today, you have your richest inheritance today, and that's through the Holy Spirit, right? It says in the Bible that once we become, once we stop walking away from Jesus and we turn around and start walking toward him, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit influences us and changes us and helps us and gives us counsel and comfort, right? And a proof of our faith is the fruit of the Spirit, which you can find in Galatians 5. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? All those things are in every believer to one degree or another, and it's influencing who we are and how we become more like Jesus. There's a Christianese word called sanctification, and that just means becoming more like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is helping us do that. And I think it's really healthy, by the way, if you've been a Christian for a while, to kind of take inventory. Imagine a time or an event that before you're a Christian happened, and maybe that kind of same thing happens again, see how you react differently to that. It became really clear to me. I don't think I've shared this before. Uh, one time I had, we had a bunch of cars parked here on a Sunday morning that we, and they had the trailers blocked. I had to call them. It was on Easter. I had to call them like at 5.30 in the morning because we need to get those trailers up to the school. One, and I left a message for the one guy and I was calling the other guy. And uh, the first guy left a message on my phone that said he was going to come down here and break my legs. And he used a uh, it was a lot more colorful, the language he used. And he said, if you ever call me again, terrible things are going to happen to me. Now, 40 years ago, before I was a Christian, I would have called him up and I said, come on down. Let's, <laughs> let's make this happen. You know, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm all stretched out. I say we go. Um, but what, and, th and this isn't me bragging. This is the transforming of my heart through the Holy Spirit. I thought, man, that guy... He, he's, he's upset. You know, I need to help him. He's upset. So I, I called him back and I said, hey, I'm sorry. If I used the wrong language, I didn't talk to you the right way. Uh, my apologize. I, I will move your car to the street right there. I just need to have it so, so we can get to the trailers, right? It's really good for us to take inventory so we can give thanks to God. I didn't give thanks to me. I think, thank you, God, that I didn't, you know, grab a bat or something and go out and take care of this guy's car, right? It's really important that we recognize and are thankful to God on how we're being transformed 
through the Holy Spirit, through those things. And if we walk in the Spirit, right? You're walking alongside God, you're walking with God, those things will continue to grow. That being said, there's been times in my life as a Christian where they diminished, right? If I'm not close to God, if I'm not reading his word, if I'm not talking to him all the time, if I'm not surrounding my life, orienting my life around him, I believe that I start to grieve the Holy Spirit and those, the, the fruits of the Spirit become less. So if you find in your life that those are less, that would be my encouragement to you is just kind of look to see, are you weakening those characteristics in your life because you're not being close to God? This all ties to the hope that God has given us because he's making, he's using that hope and he's making this radical positive change in our life today and a positive change in our afterlife as well, right? And that brings us to Ephesians 4.4. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. That first part is talking about unity among believers, right? The body is the church, right? People are the body. When we build that fantastic building over there, that won't be the church. That's where the church meets, right? And right now, all over the world, the church is meeting. Some places are thousand-year-old cathedrals in Europe, and some are humble gravel parking lots, right? But, but that's the body of Christ, and we are all unified. And it reminded me that, you know, every Christian should hold dear to what every other Christian holds dear, right? I was on a mission trip about 20 years ago to a, a barrio in uh, Santiago, Chile, and the very first night, um, myself and one other person on our team was separated from everybody else, and we were put in a room with 50 other people, that we had nothing in common with. We didn't speak the same language. I had two years of high school Spanish, so I speak no Spanish. Um, we, didn't we didn't share the same geography. We didn't share the same history. We didn't share the same dress. We didn't share the same uh, food, right? We had nothing in common, yet I had this sense of belonging and peace and family like I'd never experienced before because the only thing we had in common is I love Jesus and so did everybody else in the room. It was kind of a glimpse of heaven to me. I just think, imagine just going there and, you know, we're, hey, family's here, man. It's like a, the, the biggest family reunion of all time. I think that when you get down to it, every believer should be closer to another believer than anybody else in their life, no matter what other things they have in common, right? Because that's what's the most important thing about our life. We are transformed into being followers of Jesus. I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience because there are lots of denominations. There's lots of churches. Those things aren't bad, right? It's good. It's kind of like going to an awesome restaurant with a, with a group of people and there's 50 things in the menu. You know, you might order the steak and somebody else might order the fettuccine Alfredo and it's always awesome, right? Because you're at this perfect restaurant. But I've had the experience of explaining to non-believers why there's different denominations. I don't know if you guys have ever had this challenge. And so I will start talking to them well, it's this way, it's this way. And they're almost always, they lean forward. And the more I talk, they start looking at my mouth because they don't want to miss anything. They're thinking, all right, they're waiting for the payoff because, you know, they know Christianity is a big deal in the world. They're watching and they're watching. You get to the end and they're confused. Why, why is that? I, I think that non-believers understand sometimes better than us believers that what we have in common, what's important is that we worship Jesus that Jesus is our Lord, right? That Jesus is the center of our life. That's what is important. Not, not minutia, not how we worship or, or we sit in chairs or pews or some little theological 
issue that can be debated and has been debated for thousands of years. That's not what, what's important. What's important is, is Jesus Lord of our life or not? Are we following Jesus or are we not following Jesus? I was trying to think of another way to illustrate it, and I came up with knitting. Imagine I'm a knitter. I'm not a knitter, but imagine that I'm a knitter, and I'm into knitting, okay? I, all my books are knitting, and I, I'm on the knitting YouTube channels all the time. Uh, I go to the knitting conventions. All my friends are, you know, we just talk about knitting all the time. I know all the great knitting stores that go there all the time. I am about knitting. Knitting is who I am. You say, Scott, he's a knitter. That's what we know. Now, myself and my friends, we, we use Angora wool exclusively because all great knitters use Angora wool. I understand there are people that use lamb's wool. I don't know what they are. You know, maybe they're knitish. I don't know, but they're really not a knitter because Angora wool is the only way to knit. Now, that sounds pretty ludicrous, but I think that non-believers, when they hear us talking about differences within denominations or churches, they might experience that the same way. And I believe why it's in here and why it's important is because if we have disputes between the body, that it can keep people that are not Christians from even considering who Jesus is. Because if they think, look, if he was that important, they wouldn't be divided over whether the pastor, you know, we've had people leave the church because the pastor doesn't tuck in a shirt. It's true. If, it, if, it's, if it's down to that, right, people that leave the church for bizarre things, I think that non-believers would think, well, maybe this isn't as important as they think it is. I don't need more of that in my life. So it's, I think unity is very important. I believe it's why it's here. We are one body of Christ and we have the same destiny. What we should value above all else is what we have in common with other believers. And ultimately that is hope the noun. Hope the noun. It's the one hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I was shocked a week ago to read a poll that was taken of evangelical Christians and 25% of them thought there were multiple ways to heaven, that Jesus was not, not the only way. Let me tell you here and now, if you don't hear anything else, there's one way to heaven and it's Jesus. One way to heaven and it's Jesus. He wouldn't, if there was any other way, wouldn't you think Jesus would have come and said, all right, guys, I don't have to die. There's lots of ways. Here, here they are. Here's a menu. Here's five or six ways. And then I'm going back up to heaven, right? He wouldn't have had to suffer like he did. There's only one way. That's what we're united around. This wonderful blessing of hope. Our life as believers should not merely happen. All activity should take place in and to and for the Lord. It, we should be transformed. We're a new creature in Christ. Every aspect of our life, there isn't, we don't get to compartment our lives as, as Christians. It's united. Our hope covers every, we are awash in the hope of Jesus Christ. It is transformational. Now, up till now, this has been kind of a, inside baseball talk, right? It's kind of inside Christianity. And I know there are people here and there are people online that have not yet chosen to turn around and start following Jesus. So I'm going to talk to you just a little bit. I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're listening. This, this gift of hope will transform your life and your afterlife like you can't imagine. And it made me think of... Um, some of the volunteering I do. I volunteer with a few governmental agencies and they call me to help people, uh, to come alongside people on the worst days of their life, when they've had terrible loss in their life. 
and, and, and they call me there to be a comfort to them and to advise them and, and just to be present with them. And it's my honor to do that. But because these are governmental organizations, I have to be careful with my language. And what these people want is comfort. What they need is hope. And I've done funerals of non-believers. I've probably done more funerals of non-believers than believers. And there's no place darker that I've found than a funeral of a non-believer because that hope is extinguished. It's very different. The funeral of a believer is very different than the funeral of a non-believer. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Christian funerals are sad. There is grief at Christian funerals. We're, we're, we're going to be apart from those people for the rest of our lives. In fact, Jesus grieved over a friend of his who died, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He grieved. He cried. It's a sad time. But it's not the same as a funeral of a non-believer. The funeral of a non-believer is dark. Ultimately, when you peel away the immediate grief, the funeral of a believer is hope and brightness and peace and removal from the things of this world. Trading up to something that is far greater than we can even imagine. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was imprisoned by the Nazis and ultimately killed right at the end of World War II, wrote, No one has yet believed in God and the kingdom of God. Not one has yet heard about the realm of the resurrected and not been homesick for that hour, waiting and looking forward joyfully to being released from bodily existence. Death is hell and night and cold if it is not transformed by our faith. But that is just what is so marvelous that we can transform death. That is hope the noun. If you're here today, if you're listening today and you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, I want to tell you a little bit. You are estranged from God right now, just like I was before I started following him. God cannot have sin in his presence. But Jesus loved you so much, he came down fully God and became man on earth with you in mind. He went on trial and did not defend himself and was wrongly accused with you on his mind. He was humiliated and beaten beyond what we can almost imagine with you on his mind. And he willingly went to the cross. And when I say willingly, remember Jesus is God. He could have called armies of angels down. He willingly went to the cross and sacrificed himself with you on his mind. He died and was arose He defeated sin and death. He now sits at the right hand of the Father with you on his mind. He wants you to come to him. He wants to give you this hope that's available. Nothing would please him more. It says in Luke that when that happens, the angels throw a party. I would love for a party to be thrown today. For those of you here or listening at home that are believers, that are followers of of the one true living God. I want you to think of somebody right now in your mind that needs that hope and be praying for them as I close this in prayer.
All right, you got that name in your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you love us so much that you made it possible for us to inherit this hope, both in the present and the future. Thank you that you love us so much that you made it a way for us to be reconciled with you, that we will not be separated from you any longer. Father, I lift up each and every person within the sound of my voice right now, that they would be spoken to by your Holy Spirit, that they would be drawn to you irresistibly to faith in you and to that hope that only you can give. I pray for our world, Lord, that that we would stop having faith in all other things, on, on, on money, science, and politics, and all these other things that will not give us hope. You are the author and the giver of hope, and that is all that will satisfy us. Father, we pray that it would be a mighty, mighty harvest right now of those that would stop walking away from you and turn toward you. And I ask these things in your precious, precious name. Amen.